This podcast is brought to you by Overstayer Recording Equipment, makers of professional recording instruments, including the Framework Modular Channel and MAS, for creative tracking, processing, and mixing applications. Check out OverstayerAudio.com. After working on My Morning Jacket Securo and Jim James' Regions of Light and Sound of God, Tucker Martin once again joined the band to helm sessions that would become 2005's The Waterfall and 2020's The Waterfall 2. Jeff Stanfield caught up with Jim and Tucker on a pandemic-appropriate three-way call from Seattle, Louisville, and Portland to talk about their history, the influence of a location, and the recording of this epic collection of songs. Enjoy! You and Jim have made a few records together, Tucker, and uh, so how, how did you guys meet? And Jim, maybe you could talk about what drew you to Tucker's work. Go ahead, Tuck. I'll let you start off. I was um, I was working on a record with the Decemberists. It was a record called The Hazards of Love, which was sort of like a like an hour-long conceptual record where all the songs were part of the same story, and they all sort of wove into each other. And... Um, we were on a break and kind of like eating lunch, flipping through the weekly and saw that my morning jacket was coming to town. And, um, and I don't know, I think I just said something off the cuff, like, Oh man, how badass would it be to have Jim sing on something? Cause we were in the, the stage of like casting some different characters and trying to figure out some outside voices to bring in. And, you know, there was, there was much debate about who that should be. Um, and, just right away, it turned out that Chris Funk from the band knew Jim and was like, yeah, want to? Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And I was like, I, I held him to it. And Jim was able to make time for it. And um, so that, I mean, that's where I met Jim. I was already a fan. I'd already seen the band a bunch of times. And then what, Jim, then did I rope you into was the next thing like you were coming through town and I asked you to sing something on a Laura Veers record? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. We just had such a good time uh, doing those two sessions that uh, then the next thing we did was uh, when you came here to Louisville to the fun ranch and uh, helped me get that cranking uh, to record my first solo record. Right. Yep. Yeah, and we just really hit it off and really loved working together and it was just a real uh, seamless, beautiful thing. Jim, you've made a bunch of records in non-traditional recording spaces. Can you talk a little bit about why that's been important to you? Well, I mean, first it was just a necessity because we didn't have any money and we didn't have any uh, access to, to real studios, so... Uh, you know, even just as a kid starting on the four track or whatever in my uh, bedroom, just uh, figuring out that I could make a record that was cool, uh, that I thought was cool. And then uh, then it started with uh, my cousin, John, who was the first guitar player in My Morning Jacket. He had a little uh, eight track reel to reel set up above his uh, grandparents garage. And so he was kind enough to let me come out there 
and that's where we started recording the first uh, My Morning Jacket record out there. And we did the first three records out there. Uh, it was basically just like a two-car garage with a, an, an apartment above it. And uh, we mic'd up the garage to use the reverb of the uh, sounds bouncing around. And we mic'd up silos out on the farm. And it was just really fun having a, a an unconventional space because you know that uh, nobody else's record is going to sound quite like yours, for, for better or worse. Uh, but... Yeah, and ever since then, you know, I'm a big fan of switching things up and trying different things. So uh, I'm not against uh, traditional studios or I, I love, uh, you know, really there's big or, you know, the biggest, most expensive studio can be amazing. And the smallest, cheapest field recording can be amazing. You know, I think it's just all about following the energy of the time. Yeah, I was wondering if you were consciously trying to take yourself out of, you know, being complacent, especially after you've made a ton of records. No, you know, I feel like you just got to listen to the universe because the universe will start talking to you. And and you if you listen, you follow the path, you know, like with Tucker, it's like around that time I was looking, I was searching for somebody to uh, work with to help me start making my first solo record. And, you know, the, the universe brought Tucker into my life with those two uh, dates we did together in Portland. And I was just like, oh, man, that this is it. You know, let's do this. So I feel like it's the same way with spaces for me. I mean, in the beginning, it was it was necessity. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any money or anything. So we were so lucky that uh, John's grandparents let us use this space on their farm. Uh, but then once we kind of could be able to choose... I just tried to listen uh, before each record, you know, once things were kind of going and talking and uh, see what the vibe the vibe was. I was talking to John Bacigalupi this morning. Um, I told him that we were going to chat, and he said, oh, man, I have him tell you the story about when he first came out to see Panoramic House, and <laughs> it did, basically didn't exist. I remember that. Now, there's a big leap of faith. Jim, you and I went up there, right? And we were like, well, if they kind of get it done, it, it could be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but we might show up to a construction site. Yeah, I think the energy, again, it was like the energy was so cool. Uh, at least this is how I remember it. You know, it was like the the natural setting was so unbelievable, you know, and, and then this weird kind of house is sitting there on this cliff looking at the ocean. And I, I think I felt like I almost don't even fucking care what the studio's like, you know, like we can record it on a four track or something. You know, it's like this is such a, a an epic place. I think that was why uh, I was uh excited to take the leap yeah it was definitely the 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 scene the setting and not the you know i i don't think we asked a lot about the gear list or whatever you know so sometimes that that might seem more important but in that case it was like if, if there's a way to record music here then this is the place we should do it yeah i was gonna ask you uh tucker coming from somebody that you know y you have your own space you've had several studios um you obviously tailor them to your needs and your aesthetic, but you know, how is it going into someone else's space like that? Do you like it? Is it, do you find it challenging or? Um, well, you know, in that case, 
it was pretty challenging because we were basically the first project there. So we we were the ones like finding all the kinks and all the things that they thought were hooked up that weren't <laughs> or they thought that worked that didn't. And and there was nobody there besides us. So it wasn't and, – and, you know, you're not we, – we were an hour outside of San Francisco. So it wasn't like someone could just pop over and, and like help us through something if we hit a big snag. We were kind of on our own. Um, I mean, of course – you know, John would do whatever he could by phone, and but there's only so much. Like when the tape machine went down, and we were just out of a tape machine for a bunch of days until somebody was available from San Francisco. Um, I will say, like, just thinking about all this, I remember too when you know when they Jim invited me to work on the first My Morning Jacket record I got to work on, which was Circuital, um, and you know he told me about this wild church gymnasium chapel place in louisville and i i was just like man i'm down i'm just down for whatever like i'll just i'll be there because 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 i love this band but of course you know thinking to myself i i thought i want to i want to just make such an amazing record with these guys i want to make it sound incredible and all the stuff and and i got there and realized right away like you know just all the conveniences that I was used to with a studio of kind of sound separation and even monitoring in a way where you could tell what you're getting, you know, all that was <laughs> out the window. And at first I, I felt really bummed because I was like, shit, I want to be able to just, I want to be able to crush it for these guys. And I don't know, because I feel like my hands are tied. But I, you know, I quickly realized like, they knew that, like Jim knew that. That was all built into the decision. It wasn't like, hey, come to this gymnasium and let's make a record as if we're in a studio and everyone's in an ISO room and that's been acoustically designed by the, you know, the hot new acoustician or whatever. It was like, no, that's part of the thing. Like, we're going to all tackle this together and like whatever problems we run into, we, you know, we we take them on as a group and it kind of brought us together you know it wasn't like them looking at me like well now what are you gonna do this is this was messed up or something you know we were all just like okay well let's think of a creative way around it and that you know that works into the record and becomes part of the sound and the vibe and the story and and I feel like it you know yeah just made it feel even more like we were just all on the same team it wasn't like the band over here and me on the other side of the glass or something we were yes that's always half the fun to me, and I guess that's how we started. So I think we didn't even think about it being different than that, you know, because it's like we we recorded drums in a huge empty garage, you know, with, with no uh, baffling or no good mics or no good preamps or anything. We mixed records through our stereo speakers, <laughs> you know, in a in an empty bedroom. You know, we had no reference, so the. The idea of even being able to reference a sound through a good pair of monitors in a studio controlled environment wasn't even, it almost didn't even exist for us. You know, it's like the, uh, I mean, because sometimes to me that can be a vibe killer too when things are too sterile and things are too uh, quote unquote professional. That can really suck the vibe out of a room or suck the fun out of a room. Um, you know, so, so I don't know. Um, yeah, that was a, I think we always kind of look at it as like a, a mission, like a group mission, you know, like, oh, did the drums sound too, or the cymbals too harsh? Let's go buy a tent 
and fill it with sleeping bags and, you know, make it drier, or, you know, whatever we have to do. You know, you can imagine the scenario where, uh, you know, if, if it was the other way around and maybe you'd suggested it to another band that wasn't, you know, they're like, I don't know. Okay. But then things kind of fall apart and they're like, see, I told you. you yeah. Know, yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> It's kind of a nightmare, but um, <laughs> can you guys uh, think of a couple examples from um, from either of those records uh, that sort of the by that were a real obvious byproduct of something going wrong or not <laughs> working well? One thing from the waterfall sessions that I, I thought was really cool was the tape machine started having some sort of problem, some sort of flutter or warble mm-hmm. that. Uh, that I thought was really hilarious and cool. And I think uh, Carl and Tucker were kind of like, didn't like it, but I think it, it ended up making its way uh, into, into things, you know, somehow. Uh, I mean, I always like things like when the vocal mic blows up or when a car drives by or, you know, a bird is in the background or, you know, those, those kind of things that happen that are uh, part of life. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Tom? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I love like, you know, I feel like working with you is always a, a reminder to, to check myself too. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a negative reaction against like some preamp blowing up or the tape machine sounding messed up because I'm, you know, I feel like a certain responsibility in my job to, to be the one that oversees that that stuff is, is taken care of. But, um, but I absolutely love, and you know, I, I think one reason Jim and I've done a lot of stuff together because because we do ultimately both love the. I mean, those accidents you can't plan it, you can't buy it, like you can't, you know, you just like that's the stuff that that makes that special. If you recognize, I mean, obviously sometimes it just sucks, and you 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 know you have to fix it. <laughs> Not everything's cool because it broke or something, but. Um, but a lot of times it is the personality of the project. I remember that, Jim. Now I'm, I'm remembering, I think the way we dealt with it, at least on Only Memories Remain. So we would usually track to the tape machine and simultaneously to Pro Tools, kind of maybe as a safety, but also a like, yeah, you know, every once in a while a song just seems to sound better without the, just without the coloration of tape. And... Um, I feel like what we did with Only Memories Remain is we we kind of pick and chose. It was like the, you know, the synth pad was really cool with that flutter. And, you know, Carl's guitar was driving him nuts because he was like, man, I, I got a tone and I like held the pitch away for a reason. Right, and right. like, so we used Carl from the digital and we used, you know, other stuff from the tape. Oh, yeah. Kind of painstaking because, you know, they're also not lined up perfectly. You know, the t- tape machine drifts a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a great example of just, you know, some cases the, the, the band would have lost, lost their shit and just like, been like, we're out of here. Or like, what the hell? What is this? You know, instead it, it kind of yeah. became a feature. Yes. Yeah. And it's harder and harder to get that. You know, I think people expect at this point that you can fix everything. Everything's perfect. You can move it around. You can grid it. You can tune it. And it's like, so it's refreshing to hear that there's such a great embrace of the happy accidents. And and in many ways, it sounds like the stuff is almost like built into the session because you're putting yourself in situations that are, um, you know, not necessarily fully known. Just, just go back to waterfalls for a second. I mean, I know you, you tracked this all 
as one massive collection. Was there a reason that you held the material back uh, that was on the second uh, release? And was it, you know, was time away from it mellow out the self-criticism or like what? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's really just time constraints, you know, because uh, it, it feels like, especially as our digital age has gotten more and more prominent, that uh, just the attention span of the average listener kind of gets shorter and shorter, you know, and this was whatever, you know, seven years ago or however long it was ago. So we were kind of trying to debate because a lot of our favorite songs didn't make it on the waterfall one. And and then there was a point in time where it was like, let's just release all of it. You know, let's release a huge like quadruple record or whatever. But then it, it just felt like a lot of the material would have been just lost or not even noticed. Cause, cause just people can't take in that much information at once. And I'm not even saying that like as a criticism of people. I mean, I put myself in that category too. It's, it's like, there's it's just too much information. So I think we just tried to listen to the songs at the time that were speaking to us the most then and, and try to make the best uh, record for that time that we could. And the, the, the songs that didn't make it on that record for whatever reason, in my mind, and I know the guy's mind too, and I think Tucker's mind, uh, were still some of our favorite songs, but yeah, for you just couldn't, there just wasn't enough. Cause the water, even the waterfall one is already like two pieces of vinyl. You know, it's already a long record as it is just being a, a single record. So I think it was just kind of one of those times. And this kind of happens a lot that I, I just have a lot of songs that I really am excited about playing with the guys. And so we try to, um, if we're feeling that way, we try to pick a more affordable studio so we can spend more time there. And that was one good thing about Panoramic House is that uh, since it was in its early stages and stuff, we got a pretty good deal so we could stay there for a longer time and just cut more songs. So uh, throughout the whole process of the recording, there wasn't even a, a you know, we were just like cutting songs, you know, like just like, let's cut it as many songs as we can in this time and sort it out later. And and was it done when you left or was that stuff that you went back to and, and uh, revisited and overdubbed on, resang, or was it kind of wrapped up by the time you left? I'd say maybe half and half. A lot of it was done and then a lot of it, like we cut some more in Louisville at La La Land uh, and then we cut... Uh, some overdubs and stuff at Tucker's place before we mixed. Um, for yeah, so I, I would say about half and half. You know, hearing Jim talk about about that, the songs and how the different records were chosen. You know, we it wasn't as simple as just everyone make a list of your favorite songs and and like that's the record because you know as as you know it's there's a whole flow right and there's variety and there's like oh, these two songs are both great, but maybe they cover similar territory, so they shouldn't be, certainly not next to each other. Maybe they, sh maybe they should be on different records and that kind of thing. So that, that stuff um, had definitely some influence over what was chosen. You know, I think some people want to think like, well, Waterfall 1 was, was their favorites and the other one was just what was left. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's just not the case at all. You know what I thought? 
an interesting thing as you talked about that Tucker that I remembered was uh, at the time of the waterfall one we were still a very active band on tour and playing a lot and and just when you're saying that Tucker it occurred to me and I remembered I think a lot of the songs that made it onto waterfall one were songs that we felt like we could really use live you know like oh we can really use this rock or live or we can really use that and I think we were trying to go for a lot of variety on the waterfall one I think if you listen to both records the waterfall one's definitely more uh, up and down and are over here and over there and stuff and I think a cool thing that happened was is that as a result of that like Tucker was saying there's a lot of songs that kind of occupied the same tempo or the same feeling that got left off and then they all got combined into the waterfall too uh, and they I think they all speak together almost better than the waterfall one in the way that they flow because they are for the most part more similar to each other so i feel like it it's almost a, a a more cohesive listening experience as opposed to the waterfall one where we were trying to uh give ourselves all these new tools in the toolbox when we're playing live shows because that that often comes into our uh rationale when we're making a a, a sequence for a record um and that was an interesting part about the waterfall too is like we had been off the road for a couple of years and we're in a pandemic and, you know, we, we had what we had left that hadn't made the waterfall one, but then there's still stuff we didn't use on the waterfall two. So it still uh, was like a, a cool process of letting itself sequence itself and, and leaving some stuff still on the cutting room floor that I feel like I, I really am. The waterfall two is, is, one of my favorite uh records that that we've ever made i i was gonna mention in terms of sequence one of my favorite two songs next to each other is magic bullet going into run it yeah i walk with all those songs like that's how kind of how i end up coming to sequences at first is just like putting them in a, a playlist that i think looks like it would be good and then taking a walk to it and making changes uh after the walk, you know, and doing that several times and sending it to the guys and, and seeing what they feel about it. And yeah, I remember, uh, magic bullet and run it both to me had a, a, even though they're very different songs, had a similar kind of groove to them or, or rhythmic nature that I thought went, went together. Good. We'll do a part two sometime. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Let's wait like seven years and do part two. <laughs> thanks guys alright thanks see y'all bye Jim talk soon thanks Jeff see you Tuck love you love you too bye bye thanks for listening find us online at tapeop.com facebook twitter and instagram until next time <laughs>